Lord, we just thank for this day. We thank for the opportunity we have for coming together and just to worship you with the study of the word. We ask you to lead and guide as we look at it in your son's name. Amen. Amen. Today we're going to be looking at or being saints, not not the way the Catholics look at it, but the way that God looks at it. You know, to be to be a saint with a Catholic, you have to have all these miracles attached to your name and all and all these things, and uh, be a martyr. And uh, no, you don't have to be a martyr to be a saint uh, with them. No. You have to have beautification. Yeah, yeah, you have to. You basically have they have to have provable miracles attributed to to you. So they had the martyr. Saint Justin Martyr. Yeah, they're a martyr. Not all saints are martyrs. I see. I yeah. Well, Justin Martyr wasn't even Saint a martyr Justin as far as I remember, martyr. but that particular one. But, but anyway, we're going to look at sainthood. So the question is, what is the word saint mean? Do you have any ideas? Something that's a favorite with God. A favorite with God? Yeah, there's some truth to that. It's well, when I think of a saint or people pretending to be saints. <laughs> It's somebody pretending to be really good or... Okay. When we look at the actual definition of sainthood, we're all saints in the way God looks at us. It means to be separated to God, and it has to do with sanctification. Uh, it also means worthy of veneration, which not everybody is worthy of that, but because we are in Christ, we are worthy of veneration. You know, people separated for, to God's service, which are all of us. We're all separated as Christians to God's service. So we're going to look at this because we all are, we all are saints <laughs> uh, in the way God looks at us because he does separate us to his service. He does see us worthy of veneration, which is being exalted because we are in Christ. And we are separated to God. So as we look at this, we want to keep this in, in mind that you know, the word saint is something we don't like using to ourselves usually, but God says we are saints. And as we read through these scriptures, we're going to see that Paul specifically used the term a lot as he addressed the church. So we're going to start at Romans chapter 1 and verse 7. To all that be in Rome, beloved of God, called to be saints, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. And this was an interesting, this is the way Paul opened a lot of his letters, and that's how we're going to look at a lot of these. But he started out with, to all in Rome, beloved of God. And this beloved is a wonderful word because it is based upon agape, and it means esteemed, worthy of love. God looks at us and says that we're worthy of love. And that's kind of hard for some of us to grab hold of, is that, you know, that God decides that we are somebody that is worthy of love. Uh, and that is why he created us. That's why he sent Jesus, because he determined that we were worthy of love. Even before we were saved, he said, you're worthy of love. And can you imagine that great love that God has? And the reason I bring it out is agape love, because it's an objective love. God just declares he's going to love us. No matter what we do or what we don't do, God loves people. Now, that love doesn't mean that when they deserve hell, he's going to keep them from going to hell, because they made their choice and he's going to let them go where they chose to go. But he says, we are worthy of love. And I, I can't fathom how I am worthy of God's love in any way, shape, or form. And yet he declares that we're worthy of it. And we need to grab hold of that. We need to grab hold of the truth in spite of who we know us to be. <laughs> we grab hold of the truth that God says we're worthy of love. And this is a very powerful 
you know, thing that he's bringing out. And he, and he goes on to say, called to be saints. And this word for called is invited. Invited to be saints. Okay? And the saint we've already discussed, that's one who's separated for God. And in the Roman day, that was, that was a big deal to be separated for God. When you have hundreds of gods that they were worshiping and, and you're looking at the Christianity or even Judaism with one God, uh, and it says you're called to be separated to this one God. And he's called you to be separated to him. He's inviting you to, to be with him. You know, and this is pretty amazing. We need to grab hold of the idea. We are saints. Uh, the joke on the radio I heard the other day, this, this brother, this guy had his brother die and he went to the pastor and they were, they were ruffians and the worst people in the town and everybody knew. And he goes, I'll give you $10,000 if you'll just get my brother's funeral, say that my brother was a saint. <laughs> so the pastor thought about it and he says, okay, I'll take you up on it. So at the funeral, he goes, and his brother was a thief and a robber and a, and a murderer and a really bad guy. But compared to his brother, he was a saint. <laughs> so, but that's not the kind of saints God is wanting us to talk about. <laughs> you know, he's wanting us to look and say, we're separated. It comes from the word holy and separation. And so we are separated to God's service when we are in Christ. And this is important. When we are in Christ, we're going to become more and more like him. In the Old Testament, it tells us that whoever you worship, you become like. And they specifically, we're talking about idol worshipers. When they worship their idols and their false gods, they became like the person that they worshipped, the God that they worshipped. And this is saying, we are separated, we are saints. And you know, it really is true. If we really were to look at our life, even though we know how far off from good we are, if we're really being changed by God to be like God, then compared to the rest of the world, we do have a saint-like saint activity already. And that is true when we walk with God. He gives us this. We become more and more like him. We know that we have a long ways to go. We know how all of our imperfections. But the real key is when the world looks at us, they should see Christ. They should see something that is, that is more holy and righteous than what they're used to. And then it says, grace to you. Now, we've, I've given you the simple definition of grace, which is? Being uh, favorable to God. We're all saints. Uh, getting what you don't deserve. Getting what we don't deserve. Oh, I thought you asked what, saint? No, we're on grace. Great. Getting what you don't deserve. Now, let me give you the long-winded definition from the Greek, because it is good. Grace is that which affords joy, pleasure, delight, sweetness, favor of the merciful kindness by which God, exerting his holy influence upon souls, turns them to Christ, keeps strengthening, keeps strength, strengthening, increases the them and their, in their Christian faith, knowledge, affection of kindness to them to exercise of the Christian virtue. <laughs> That's a long-winded thing, and it really just means the same thing as, we, as we've simplified it, to get everything that we don't deserve. But specifically, what are we getting? We're getting peace. We're getting joy. We're getting delight. We're getting the sweetness of, this, of, of, the, of God. And he gives us the strength by grace... <laughs> So that we 
turn our souls to Christ and he strengthens us and he gives us faith and knowledge and helps us to exercise the Christian faith. Okay, now that is a gift from God. That is something we don't deserve to have that power and that strength from his grace. Everything about grace is such a sweet thing. By grace, he saves us. He brings us in the joy of our salvation. He gives us the strength to walk. And this is what we were talking about. As this world gets darker and darker and we face harder and harder activities, God will give us the grace to go through whatever it is he asks us to go through at the time it's required, not before. And this is the wonderful thing that God does. Whenever we need something, he gives it to us on time. may not seem on time to us. <laughs> you know, we always want it sooner than later. We don't want it at the last minute. We want him to give us what we, everything that we want and need and we want it early and but God says I'm going to give it to you when you need it that's like we want that rain to come over the hill instead of going around the back every evening it thunders <laughs> and lightnings gets real dark the wind blows and nothing and nothing we got it last night so well no you in. can see it yeah you know. we had like two seconds of sprinkles last night yeah well, it'll go around the mountain I mean you can smell the rain on, it happens in Kingman a lot it. too yeah, happens in Kingman's because it's got the same. It's got Kingman has the same same effect with a bowl around a bowl around the town unless it comes right up the, and then it gets caught. If it comes up the right way, it gets caught. You know, and then you get a real storm. I think the river really got it. Yeah. Absolutely, up through there. So it says grace to you and peace from our God, and again, peace is a really interesting term. It's it's Irene, and it means the tranquil state of a soul assured of salvation through Christ and fearing nothing from God and content with their earths with their lot on earth that's peace I'm no fear what I've got. no fear in being content you will never have peace if you're always wanting something that somebody else has and you will always be struggling at that point we're going to go close that door so it doesn't <laughs> Peace if you're afraid. And if you have fear of things, you won't be at peace. And this is why it's important that we are confident in God. That we stay confident in God and He will provide that peace. He will give us the, the needs that we have. So walk that out. <laughs> so he says, and, and Paul's greeting is that you will have grace and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. And this is a powerful blessing. This is Paul's blessing and greeting to the, to the churches when he greets them. And this is powerful when we think about this. Let's turn to Colossians chapter 1. What's helped me a lot, what you've taught us is about fear, is that it's an idol. Don't have fear as an idol. Mm -hmm. That helped me a lot overcoming any fear because I don't want to be a, a fear idol worshiper. Yeah. Know? This fear is looking at something other than God. Colossians? It's after Philippians. It's after Philippians. Galatians, Ephesians, uh, Philippians, Colossians. Then mm -hmm. you get into Thessalonians, Timothy, Pass Galatians. Pass Galatians. Did you find it? She's in Galatians at the moment. Keep going. Pastor Ephesians. Oh my gosh. 
You're almost didn't there. Know these chapters was that long. You're almost there. Philippians. <laughs> there you go. Colossians chapter one verse two. To the saints and faithful brethren in Christ which are at Colossae, grace be unto you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. So he's doing the same thing. To the saints, those who are separated to God, but in this case he also puts and the faithful. Faithful. We are to be faithful servants to God. And faithfulness is that person who's trustworthy. You know, you, if you need something done, you give it to them. Uh, we all have met or know people that, that aren't faithful. You wouldn't trust them for anything. You, if, you, if you want something done, you know the, the person that you will give it to and the person you wouldn't give it to. And Paul is saying to the, to the Christians at Colossae, you are faithful. You're faithful to God. God has given you all the grace, and I'm wanting you to have grace, but I want you to also be faithful. You are trustworthy. You are going to accomplish what God has, has entailed. And this is what's important for each one of us. We're saints separated to God. We need to be, we have God's grace. We need to have his, his peace, but we also need to be faithful. And again, that doesn't mean that we're going to do it in our own strength because we can't be completely faithful in our own strength. We could try. Some people have a natural tendency that can be more faithful than others. But when we're in Christ, being crucified by, by Christ, we can be faithful to handle his word, to read his word, to pass his word to other people. We're, the job we're given is to go make disciples. And it's important for us to make disciples. And how do we make disciples? We live that life in front of them. Because the old saying is really true. Your actions speak louder than your words. We can say the right things all day long to somebody, but if we're telling them to be nice and kind to somebody and the very first time that we have a hard time with somebody, we get mad and we're, we're yelling and hollering at them and, and not being kind to them, they're going to look and say, okay, they're saying one thing doing another. and doing something totally different and they will, they will give the title hypocrite. And there are many Christians who have the title hypocrite because people know when you say you're a Christian, they know what a Christian is supposed to be like. And when they don't see Christ-likeness flowing from that people, from that person, they go, that's a hypocrite. And, and I've shared with you, there was a young man that worked for me when I first started here in Kingman. And he, was, he put in his two-week notice and about a week into it, I knew he was going to leave anyway. And I took him aside and I go, there's one thing I want you to do. And I'm not talking to you as a boss right now. I'm talking to you as a fellow Christian, your next job, do not tell anybody that you're a Christian. And he goes, what? Why? I go, because you don't act like a Christian. You bring shame to God's name. He didn't like it, but it was the way it was. He was lazy. He was just as lazy as anybody else. He tried to get his little work done. He'd be late. You know, he did not honor God in his work. And I'm going, you're, you're a lousy Christian witness. Don't tell anybody that you're a Christian. Because when we say we're a Christian, the world looks at us with certain expectations. That we're going to be like Christ. We're going to be kind to people. We're going to love them. We're going to be honoring Him in our work. Because God, we're told in, in the New Testament that for a Christian, we're to honor God and work as a God-pleaser, not as a man-pleaser. We're working as unto God, not, not to our boss who will let us get away with whatever. You know, because the world get, tries to get away with whatever they can get away with. And I remember a job where I had where I'd go on break and there were people that were on break before I started my break. <laughs> I ended my break on time. They were still on break and who knows how long they stayed on break after I went back 
back to work because I wasn't watching them. And they would stretch their lunches into a longer lunch, you know, all these things. And I don't know if any of them were Christians or anything, but I just know the world, you know, the world takes that give them an inch, they'll take a mile mentality. And God is saying, I want you to work as unto me. I want you to be truthful as unto me. I want you to treat people as I would treat them. Because our service is to God. Not what, not, not what little I can do and, and make it look like I'm a Christian. He's really asking to work through us. That we will be faithful servants to him. And that is not an easy thing. Being a faithful servant is not the easiest thing in the world to do. Because it, it demands God's standards. And God's standards are a lot higher than we would want them to be. It's As I tell people, I'm, I'm a part-time pastor, but there's no such thing as a part-time pastor. And there really isn't. If a pastor cares for their people, there's no such thing as a part-time pastor. He may be paid part-time, but if he's doing his job as a pastor, there is no part-time. He's going to go to the hospital. He's going to be spending time studying to the extreme. He's going to be preaching the Word and teaching the Word and visiting and calling and, and all the other things to serve people. I don't like that term, part-time. Yeah. I, it's, I don't. I don't like Well, there is no such thing, so it's really not a great, great term. Uh, there are many pastors who are paid part-time, <laughs> but, but I would agree there's really no such thing as a part-time part time even though, because the greatest pay comes from God and God takes care of it. But the whole idea of how are we? Are we part-time Christians? I know a lot of people who are part-time Christians that you Sunday see them morning, Sunday morning and, and Easter and Sunday. And if you, Christmas and Easter. And if you ask them what they've studied that week in the Word, it's like, well, I had to go find my Bible because it was under, you know. I've, I've met people, I've visited them at their house, and I'm going, okay, how are you doing? You know, what, what did you learn from the Bible? Well, I've got to get my Bible, and it's at the bottom of some pile of something, you know. Uh, but it's critical. Who are we serving? Why are we serving Him? And this goes to our being crucified in the flesh and living, living everything out for Him because it's a very powerful thing. Colossians chapter 3, one page over probably in most of your Bibles. Starting in verse 12. Put on therefore as the elect of God, holy and beloved, bowels of mercy, kindness, humbleness of mind, meekness, long-suffering, forbearing one another and forgiving one another. If any man have a quarrel against any, even as Christ forgave you, so also do you. Above all these things, put on charity, which is the bond of perfection. Let the peace of God rule in your hearts, to which also you are called to be one body and be thankful. And this is a great one. Put on, therefore, as the elect people that God has chosen. And this put on is when that beautiful verse that I've talked to you about. It is the idea of sinking into a soft, luxuriant garment. Uh, and like we see, if you watch any commercials where they fall into the bed or the towels or the sheets or whatever, you know, that's, that's the picture, just to fall into something that's really soft and comfortable. He says, put on, therefore, as the elect of God, God's chosen, the ones he's picked out, holy and beloved, holy here is saint, <laughs> is the word for saint, and beloved, that is, again, we go back to to the beloved, that idea that God has chosen to love us, bowels of mercy. The seed of our emotions should be mercy. Is that the seed in the middle of our emotions? Is our first instinct to be 
merciful? For most of it probably isn't. It's something you need to learn and, and practice and continue to do. And you know, and I've shared with people the key to this is when people are being hard on us and we need to be merciful to them, the very first thing we have to remember is they're a sinner. They're a sinner living like a sinner. Of the world. Of the world or even Christians, if they're being if they're being hard on and not living as a Christian, they're still sinners. And this, if we have this mentality, they are sinners, they're acting like who they are, it is much easier to have mercy and compassion on them. If somehow we think that they're striking out at us because that is just, they want to do us bad, you know, and be mean to us, then we react as if we're being attacked. And we're not going to be merciful if we believe that we're being attacked and we're going to <laughs> strike out at them because if we believe that they're that just being mean to us for, you know, for the sake of being mean to me, then I'm going to react back because my attitude toward them is wrong. Jesus was able to be soft with everybody because he recognized that the individuals he dealt with were sinners. They were just acting who they were. Usually not with any malice. I mean, and even if it is with malice, it still doesn't matter. They're a sinner. And we need to respond with mercy and kindness. And it takes time. It takes time changing the way we think in those. And are we ever going to be perfect in, in, in bowels of mercy? No. <laughs> Can we get to the place where we are more merciful than, than striking out? Yes. But if we recognize this person is just a sinner acting like a sinner then I should be able to show mercy to them. I should be able to give them kindness. And that kindness takes, it takes work. It's amazing that everybody thinks that pastors automatically do these kind of things, but it's not true. We had to learn to work at it just as everybody else has to, to learn, learn to work at it. And pastors get it real quick. If you're not kind as a pastor, it's like, well, what kind of pastor are you? Well, I'm a human pastor with a sin nature. <laughs> You know, but God has taught me to be kind, be merciful to people, be somebody who has meek, the humbleness of mind. You know, if we truly have a humbleness of mind, when somebody attacks us, we just turn it over to God and say, God, you know, they're just being sinners. They're just being sinners. They're being who they are. They have no choice in the matter. And most sinners don't. And even carnal Christians don't have really much choice in it because they don't have enough of the Word of God to be anything but a sinner. Because they're not going to be able to work out something that is not there. Uh, we showed the movie Fireproof the other night, and one of the things he says, you know, the father would sold his son. He goes, you can't love your wife because you don't know what love is. And you know, most people don't know what love is until you really truly meet God and he pours love into you, you don't know what love is, so you cannot pass out love when you don't know what it is. We can't be merciful until we really get to know God and see that mercy poured out on us from him, knowing that I deserve so much more than he gives, and he says, I'm going to be merciful to you. Without knowing God, we cannot do any of these things. The idea that he says goes on, he says, to, and meekness we're put on meekness and meekness is gentleness mildness it doesn't mean a stum a, a, a 
a um, doormat. Doormat. You know, it doesn't mean that you're easy. You know, easily tricked. It just means that you're going to be gentle, mild. When I was a manager, it used to be so fun to watch these people trying to brown nose and just be able to see right through them, and just smile. And just smile, saying, okay, I know what you're doing. I might even say that I know what you're doing. It's not going to work. Or just totally ignore them and let them think they were doing something and getting away with something and then treating them the way they deserve to be treated. But that mildness. You know, we have a choice when we're dealing with somebody. We can try to crush them because of who they are. And for some people that are really hard-driven, you know, <laughs> uh, personalities and everything, it's pretty easy to crush somebody. But that doesn't give a good witness to them to, to tear them apart and to crush them. Sometimes it's just easier just to say, okay, God, I'm going to just let this happen and, you know, you, you deal with it. You're my shelter. You're my protection. You're my guard. I'm just going to be mild and be gentle with this person because they, they're walking in the flesh. They're walking in the flesh. And then he says long-suffering. And a lot of people like to read this long-suffering <laughs> And it really means more than just patience. This, means, this is God being patient. Being patient for generations. We look at our country and how far it's gone downhill. In just three or four generations, we have gone from a fairly godly moral country to a very immoral country that doesn't seek after God in any way, shape, or form. And yet God has been long-suffering with this country. It's got an end. It will have an end. Judgment will come. You read what he went through with, with the children of Israel and how they would go into idol, idol worship and leave God completely behind. So bad that they would, the, the temples would become the temple would become a junkyard of all the stuff they wanted to store someplace. And you would talk, and then a new king that wanted to honor God would come in and he'd send the send the priest in to start cleaning out the 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 temple. And it would take them days to clean out all the garbage that had been stuck into the temple. And then each, each one that did it, they found the word of God <laughs> in the temple. God is long-suffering. It's not a permanent, you know, there comes an end to his long-suffering. He went from the time of the fall of Adam and Eve to the time that a flood of the world, some, some 1,600 years that he said, I'm suffering. I'm, I'm going to give you a chance to come. I'm giving you a chance to come back. They didn't and he flooded the world. He gave the children of Israel about 600 years to come back to him and then he sent them into slavery. He gives the Christian church a period of time to keep coming back to him and try to influence the world like it has in many places. The church influenced the Roman Empire and the Roman Empire was, was as bad or worse than we are now. And they influenced the Roman Empire and turned it into a Christian, quote-unquote, Christian entity, or at least a moral, more moral entity. It came to the United States, and the Christianity created a government that was based upon morality. God says, here's your chances, but they don't last forever. If we turn our back on him, he will judge. We know that the judgment is coming in this world where we're going to have the, the judgment fall. God's long-suffering is not something that is permanent. Uh, this morning, my brother-in-law, he lives in Tennessee, told me that he was listening to the news. Now, I don't know. I think he told me it was Fox. That now, 
What you said, Sandy, about lo churches losing their status. There's already, there's already magazine article It's already it. done. Well, it's not done yet, but it's being presented. It's about the yeah. money. It's being presented. They want to make more money. They want to sell money. This isn't about money. This isn't about money. This is literally just to destroy churches. Finish selling more marriage licenses. Yeah, no, this is this is all about just destroying churches. Yeah, destroying, and, he, and I laughed. I said, that's what our pastor said Sunday. He said, I'm getting rid of Fox. I'm getting rid of everything. Fox is just reporting it. I mean, it's... Yeah, but I was laughing. Yeah, I just got an email on that, on that article just before I came in here, the article in time about churches don't, don't deserve tax, tax zip status. So it's not it's not going to be around it's not far around the corner it's going to happen. I never knew pastors got paid until <laughs> a few years ago. I thought it was all priests and, and pastors mm -hmm. were all uh, men of God that they didn't need to get paid. They, they, they didn't need to buy electricity no. or gas for their cars or you insurance know, for their cars. No, no the church provided people that got stuff. Them. All your expenses you were know, paid by the yeah, church. They, not I by said, a paycheck, you know, or a salary. It was, I thought it was all provided for you or for the mm -hmm. priest or, or the nun or whoever, by the church. I've been asked, why don't your church buy a van to go around to pick up people? And I said, who's going to pay for it? Exactly. Yeah. Well, the church, I said, where are they going to get the money? We don't have a money tree. Yeah. There are so many people who don't realize that churches pay electric and pay water and you know, it's amazing when you talk to people and they go, well, don't you get this all? Well, it does come out of the collections, but the collections have to come in. I don't know where they think you really get the money. It's 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 the fact that they don't think about it. Well, I wouldn't go quite that far. It's just something they've never really thought of. I mean, it's... Association of Baptists, you know, there's a lot of more wealthy churches. Well, they've got to have money from someplace, too. So the bigger your church is, the more expensive you are. I mean, I mean, our, our entire need for this church is about $600 a month. Now, we spend a lot more with all the outreach and every, and, the, and the pay for me and everything. Uh, but you compare that to one of, one of the churches that I know well in Kingman and their, and their, their budget, their budget is, is a third of a million. Okay. And they need most of that. They, mo they need most of that to get through by the time they spend, you know, we would die if we got it, if we had to pay twelve hundred dollars in an electric bill uh, in three electric bills. I mean, that's their electric bill. You know, their water bill a hundred and hundred and twenty some dollars. The, you know, uh, you know. So, you know, the bigger your church is, the more money you need to run that church. So everybody goes, well, that's a big church. They got lots of money. Well, yeah, but they're doing lots of things. They're running food banks. They're 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 ministering to the people. So. Would I love to have a van? I've been praying for a van since I got here because I would love to be able to take it out on Sundays, pick people up. I would love to start a ministry where we provide rides to Kingman two or three times, a, or even Golden Valley two or three times a day. You know, where we just pay a driver to go back and forth to, you know, on a schedule to to do that. Will it happen? I really think God will allow it to happen. When I don't know. When somebody gives us a van, and when we get enough money to, you know, to to uh, to pay for the insurance, because the insurance, when you do that, is going to be high. Uh, when when it's the time, God will give us the van, and we will be. And believe me, when we get the van, we will use it to minister. Because I've already been thinking about that since the first day I got here. I thought about that. How will it happen? I don't know. Well, God is more powerful than anything I can think of. And when the time has come, He will say. Here's your van. Uh, somebody will give us a van. You know, but the key is, 
and I've told somebody this, I don't want somebody's junky old van that's got 200, 300,000 miles on it that, that needs to be repaired every day. When God gives us a van, I fully expect him to give us a van that is worthy of service to him. And who or where that is going to come from, I don't know. God knows because I've been praying for it because that's one of the biggest things because if we can do that, then we can provide people transportation to go to work or shopping or whatever it might be. And that is part of the goal that I would love to see us accomplish. How that's going to happen, I don't know. God's got somebody with money out there. Huh? It will. It will. God's got some. God owns all the cattle and on a thousand hills. He owns the hills. He owns all the gold in the hills. He, he owns all the oil. He's got somebody out there that's going to say, I just need to give to this church so they can have their van and, and produce. Who that's going to be? I don't know. I don't know when that'll happen. You know, we're just a small church. But God, when he provides the van, he's also going to have provide the money for the insurance because that'll be a big increase on, on our billing on, on for insurance. But I do believe he's going to do it. I see a little change, though, Pastor. I do see We've had lots of changes in this town. In just the you know, two and a half years, I've seen a lot of changes in this town. God is working in this town. God is making inroads into this town. And people are coming and, and being aware of what's going on. Uh, and I love what God's doing, and this is why I know that he's called me here, because I'm watching him do great things. You know, would I love it to be faster and bigger? Absolutely. <laughs> but he's doing it in his time, and he'll do it as it's needed. Uh, but, you know, we're on, we're on the Internet. You know, who, who, who would, before I started here, who would have ever thought that this church would be on the Internet, reaching into 52 countries... You know, over, over 250 uh, 50 cities that are listening to it, God is doing great things. And who knows what's out there? Who knows who, what lives are being changed because we are out there, our little church of 20-some people reaching the world, doing just as God told us, go into all the world. And we're able to do it while we sit here in this little town of chloride. We go out into all the world. <laughs> you know, and, and minister. <clears throat> to me, it's just amazing. The things we can do through technology, the things that we see. Over 500 people this month have listened to the sermons, have clicked onto the sermons. Now, how many of them are actually listening? I don't know, but just to click on means that the possibility is that if there's a lot listen, out there. If I click on one, I'm listening. Usually you'll listen for a while. If I don't so, like them, I click them off. But we're reaching... We're reaching more people on the internet than we have here in the town. <laughs> and that's amazing. Now, and, it's, and we're going to keep reaching out. We're going to keep doing things. Eventually God will give us that van. Eventually God will get us doing other things that I want to see us doing. I have a great vision for our little church. I don't speak most of it because I'd probably scare everybody if I talked about the vision I have for this church and where God's going to take this church. But it will do it in God's time. I'm not going to go into debt. I'm not going to stretch our budget. But every year we produce a budget that stretches us. And this year we haven't done so well at hitting our budget. But, <laughs> but we're not overspending our money either. We're, we're saying, okay, God, you're not providing. So we're not doing some of these extra things that we challenged ourselves for. But God is doing great things. God is doing great things in this church. He's doing great things in this town. And I love seeing how this town is changing. Slowly but changing. And we, I expect that we're going to see a, a revival in this town. We're going to see a revival in Chloride. Those two people that came to church Sunday, did they stay for dinner? Yes. Both of them stayed for dinner. 
Johnny? Johnny and uh, Bill. 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 All right, verse 13, forbearing one another. And I've shared with you, I love this term forbearing. Giving up my right to demand punishment. Forbearing. That's a powerful word. And this is what we're called to do. Give up our right to demand somebody's punishment. Why? Because God does it. That is the ultimate of showing that love is that we are giving up our right to demand it. And then he goes even further, and forgiving one another. And that's the next step. I can give up my right to, to demand that they be punished, but the ultimate is to forgive them. To say, it's okay. I'm not going to hold it against you. This is important for us to get to that point of, I can forgive people. And forgiving is hard for us in the flesh because when we feel like we've been hurt, we don't want to forgive somebody so often. We want them to get punished. We want to see the bad things happen to them. Even if I give up my right to demand it, I'm still like, oh, well, can't just wait till they get the get what's coming. You know, they're gonna they're gonna reap what they sow. They're gonna get it. I just can't wait for them to get it. You know, the reason I'm laughing, something was said to me this morning that really didn't sit too good with me. And I've been thinking all day, what am I going to do about this? Am I going to confront them again and say, well, uh, Do I keep bringing it up or do I just let it let go, it go and, and, and forgive? It really cut me deep. And it is hard. That is what the real challenge is for us as Christians is to let things go and just follow through and the last half of 13 is the reason for the if any man have a quarrel against any even as Christ forgave you so also do you and this is the key Jesus forgives us and because he forgives us we should be able to forgive others the only way we can do that is pretty much to have our flesh crucified our, our personal desires to have them punished and 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 treated bad has to be crucified and then we can go okay Jesus you forgave them on the cross Jesus goes father forgive them they know not what they're doing father forgive them while he's on the cross all the shame of the cross all the pain of the cross and he says forgive them the people on the cross were in extreme pain. They were also humiliated because they were stripped naked on the cross. There was the shame of being publicly humiliated in front of everybody, the pain that went in it, and all the beating that he took. And he says, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. You know, and that needs to be our attitude. If they're acting like sinners, they really don't know what they're doing. They're just acting like sinners. And we need to be able to say, Father, forgive them. Father, forgive them. My hope is that we can get to the place where we pray for people and ask for their forgiveness. Ask that God breaks the, uh, breaks the chain of the sowing and reaping so that they can come to God. We need to learn to love people because that is what will bring them to Christ, is that love. We need to love them, be not because of what they do wrong, but because they are sinners headed for hell. And our love should be so much toward them that we want to see them become part of the family, become at peace in God's grace.
That is love. And that's not easy. That is having our lives changed by God so that he flows out of us in his love. And it's not manipulative. We're not trying to manipulate people by that love or being kind to them and trying to manipulate them into Christianity. We're showing the way God is toward them. We love God because he first loved us. If we want people to know God's love, we need to show his love to them so that they can see the love of God and respond. And the love of God, his grace, will change people. We want to see great things happen here in Clorid. We continue to show God's love to everybody, whether they deserve it or not. I, was, I watched a, a movie last night called Brother, Brother White. It's about this white pa pastor in a mega church in, a, in California. He gets sent to Atlanta, Georgia, to this little church that's been around for 147 years, and a bank's trying to shut him down. Okay? And it shows him doing all these little acts of kindness to people. All these little acts of kindness. And then he does this big thing, saves the church. And he goes, okay, I'm done what I want. I need to go back home. And then he opens the doors on the next Sunday morning and everybody that he's done a little act of loving kindness to is there at the church waiting to come in. You know, and it was just, I saw that. I don't, I don't know if that was really the purpose, you know, if everybody in the movie would see that, but that's what I saw. The guy that he was kind to, you know, well, it wasn't too kind, but he, he was beating his son and he says, well, if you have to hit somebody, hit me if, as long as you won't hit your son. And the guy hits him. <laughs> You know, then shows up to church Sunday because he's convicted because of the, the grace that he shows. He helps this one kid, you know, fix his body. You know, all these little people he does just little acts of kindness to without judging them, without, you know. And he's not even recognizing as he's doing them that these are loving acts that God is teaching him to do. He's just, you know, doing, them. He's just doing them. And this is what our life needs to be. We do things because of who Christ is in us. And most of the time, we're not going to realize that we are doing anything that is all that special. We're just living Christ's life out. But the world looks at it and says, wow, there's something different about this person. And they look at our acts and they go, this person's different. Loretta has said it over and over. She doesn't feel like she's that special, but she's loved everybody in this town, and they look at her as, a, as somebody who's showing Christ's love to them, and all she's doing is living her life. And yet, it, and yet her life touches people's lives in a mighty way. There's things I do here that I'm just doing what I am that is going to touch people. And I may not know what they are until I get to heaven, and God says, here's, here's all the little things that you did. That's one of the reasons I've said, my, one of my favorite songs is Thank You, where the guy goes to heaven and all these people come up to him and saying, I'm in heaven because you did, <laughs> you did this, you did this. And, from that, and you can see from the perspective of that person, all they were little things that he wasn't even, cons you know, he wasn't doing it to get great blessing. He wasn't getting to even treat people. He was just loving people with the love of God and I people respond. country and western song the other night. And... Yeah. Was a man and a woman singing, and the man would say, "What's your name, son?" And he would say, "On my mother's side, I'm Jesus. On my dad's side, you know, he was Emmanuel." Mm -hmm. And all through the song, it was, "What your, what did you do, son?" And mm -hmm. on my mother's side, <laughs> and then it was different on his dad's side. Yeah. 
Have you heard that? I haven't heard that one, but I, I, it makes sense. I mean, it's, yeah, I mean, it was it was really. Yep. If you listen to it, it was it did really make sense. But it's so important because we do things just because God is living through us, and it touches people. Uh, and I've shared with you when I went to church with the gout problem. I just went to church because God said go to church. Now I wasn't trying to inspire anybody, but yet. A year later, people are telling me that I, I inspired them. And I'm thinking, all I did was go to church because that's what I do. You know, I'm not trying to do that. There's so many places where we're going to be just living Christ out. And people are going to be touched. All right, the last one we want to look at, verse we want to look at, is in 1 Corinthians. Now we go back. Back about six, back about six books. Chapter 1. Verse 2 and 3. Unto the church of God, which is at Corinth, to them that are sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be saints, with all that in every place called upon the name of the Lord, of Jesus Christ our Lord, both theirs and ours, grace be unto you and peace from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. So again, he's going, in this case, he's, to Corinth, he's saying, to them that are sanctified in Christ. And sanctified is something we're going to spend our entire life being. But sanctified means to be separated, to be holy. Okay? Those that are being sanctified. Okay? In Christ Jesus. And note that word, in. We are sanctified in Christ Jesus. When we are in him, we are being changed by him. Okay? And remember we talked when we talked about baptism, that idea of being immersed into the Holy Spirit, staying there until we change from the cucumber or the vegetable into a pickle. <laughs> okay? We are put in Christ. We stay in Christ until we become Christ. Now, that will actually happen at our death when we're glorified. But the longer we stay in Him, the more we will become like Him. You know, I want to read something out of my out of the concordance okay. of my Bible. Uh -huh. First Corinthians calls you to act this goes along exactly what you're saying today. First Corinthians gives you gives calls you to exercise your spiritual gifts in love for Christ and his church so the church can give a unified witness to an unbelieving world. Mm -hmm. That's everything you've just talked today. Yeah. He is sanctifying us, he is making us saints so that we reach the world. That's the whole thing. Everything we're going through on this whole 51 things that happen to you at the moment of salvation is because we are a witness to the world. Not because of things that I do. Because remember, everything in this list is nothing that I do. Everything in this list that we've covered is what God does to us. He justifies us. He makes us children. He sanctifies us. He says we're a new creation. He makes us a new new family. He is the one that sanctifies us. Everything is what God does. If I'm doing it, we've said it so many times, if I'm doing it, it's done in the flesh, and God looks at it and says, okay, well, it, it's worthless. It might have been good for something, you know, a little, but in my kingdom, it's worthless, and it's going to burn up. What he does through us is what will last. It is what will bring us up. And it says we are sanctified in Christ, called again to be saints. Now this called is slightly different. It is to be named after. When we are called to be saints, we're named after Jesus Christ as saints to him. 
with, with all that in every place call upon the name of Jesus our Lord, both theirs and ours, grace unto you again and peace from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace and peace, sanctification, being a saint, everything is what God does to us. This, and I've said this over and over and over again, and I hope it's getting through to people. This makes Christianity the easiest thing to live because it is all God in his relationship. We become more and more like him because we are in a relationship with him. And we see this all the time. The people you hang out with are who you become like. If you want to be a gangster, you hang out with gangsters. If you want to be a thief, you hang out with thieves. If you want to be God's child, you hang out with God. <laughs> you get into his word. You get into the study. You spend time praying with him. You get in with his people and become more and more like him. As we worship him, we, we are in Christ. We will become more and more like him. We will be greatly blessed. And it's all God doing the work. And we've got to get to this place where we really truly understand everything about Christianity is him. We become like Christ because we are immersed in Christ. And it's a very powerful place to be, being honored so much by him changing us. And then he gives us rewards. Well, you see, when we were young and in Chicago, we played ball with gangs. Hmm? We could play real games then, but they, they were nicer than they are now. <laughs> yeah. But, I mean, we, did, we didn't participate in that. And they didn't even ask us to. Yeah. Um, because you weren't, you weren't fellowshipping with them. No. You were just, the, you well, spent time, ball, you spent some yeah. time with them. And they were neighbors. You yeah. Know? And I, one, one boy was an altar boy in the Catholic Church. And yeah. we'd see him in the alley with a spoon and a, you know, and then shooting himself up. And I felt so sorry for him. But he, mm -hmm. then when my brother retired and moved to Tennessee, he had a motor and a boat for fishing. Someone stole that. And this, one of these guys were in prison. He found out about it, how I don't know. He called his mother and said, you find out who got Bob's motor and boat, and I will take care of that. Yeah. So she told my brother. My brother said, you tell him I'll take care of this myself. He does not have to bother with taking care of it. I will take care of it myself. And I thought, he's in prison. How's he going to have that done? He'd be surprised. But I know they know people, you know. But his mother told my brother what he said. Yeah. All right. Well, let's close in prayer. And Lord, we just thank you for this day. We thank you for the opportunity to love and honor you and to show, have you just work in our lives in such a great way. And we just thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.